You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen. Amen. Hey, get your Bibles out this morning. Open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we continue in our redemption series. And we're going to use one of these verses as the jump-off point for what we want to talk about this week as we talk about our new position. Um, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, um, you are in a new position. And uh, today we want to talk about that. And uh, we want to make sure we got one thing straight because in our world, uh, we're always uh, kind of looking, what do I get for that? If I do this, what do I get for that? In business, they call it the ROI the return on investment. If I'm going to invest this much in, how much will I get out? And I think sometimes people in their faith are thinking, well, what do I get out of this? And the amazing thing about our salvation is that the return is huge, but our investment was zero, right? The investment wasn't made by us. It's not like I put something into my salvation and now I get this that comes out of it. The investment was all made by God, all made through the work of Jesus Christ. He poured his life out. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the atoning sacrifice. He did all of that, but then poured out on this, us, us, is this awesome work that God has done. And we want to talk about that today, a little bit of what we have received based on the investment that God has made, not of us, but of him. We're going to launch out of a 2 Corinthians 5, so let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word, and I'm going to read starting at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Look at this. All of this is from God. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing word. We thank you for this amazing truth, Lord. We have had so much poured out, so much blessing, so much we have received because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. I did nothing. You did it. And you offered the free gift. And as a result, I received so much, Lord. Would we hear that word today? Would it uh, give us hearts of gratitude? Would it uh, move us from our complacency to be more like Jesus Christ? Would it take the person who's in disobedience to come to, oh my goodness, what you have done, God, and respond. And Lord, the person in the room who's never trusted Christ, would it bring them to that place of understanding Jesus Christ is the only answer. Do this work. For your fame and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, you can take your seats. We're going to talk about that new position we have and 
how awesome, how amazing that position is. We're going to really laser in onto four things, but there's a lot more things uh, that you've received uh, based on what God has done for us. He's done this awesome work. It started in eternity past and goes to eternity forever. We're going to come in a few weeks to the message about glory as the last message in our series, and um, that's what we get also as a follower of Jesus Christ. But uh, here's a list of uh, some of what you have received Received if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. First of all, you are elect, you are predestined, you are chosen of God, you are called, you are reconciled by God, you are reconciled to God, you have been redeemed. There's no longer any condemnation. God's wrath has been satisfied. You're forgiven of all of your trespasses. All of your sin is removed. You were crucified, buried, and raised with Christ. You're free from the law. You're dead to the law. You're delivered from the law. You're children of God. You're born of God. You are a new creation. You are regenerated. You are acceptable to God by, accepted to God by Jesus Christ. Um, you are made righteous in God by Christ. You are sanctified positionally. You are made accepted in the beloved. You are made qualified. You are delivered from the power of darkness. You are a holy priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation. You are a holy nation. You are a people after God's own possession. You're having access to God. You have his inheritance. And I am eternally a heavenly citizen. That's awesome. Now that's what God has done for us. Now that's what we've received because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that should turn you on your head to, oh my goodness, look what the Lord has done. God, help me put my complacency aside. And help me to be a person filled with gratitude for all that you've done, all that you have accomplished for us. And as I said, today we want to laser in actually on four more things that come out of all of this, four more thoughts, four more realities that are ours if we are in Jesus Christ. This investment that God has made for us, and he's poured this blessing out on us. Here's, here's four more things. Here's the first one. God's awesome work, the Holy Spirit in me. God's Holy Spirit is in you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm not trying to make it through this life on my own. God's promised his Holy Spirit to me. Um, John 3, 5 and 6 says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so God's Spirit is placed in us. And we see that in lots of different ways and in the theology of the Holy Spirit. We see that through um, as a follower of Jesus Christ. When I put my trust in Jesus Christ, I was baptized by the Spirit. I was baptized into the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, the Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit not only was I baptized by the Spirit, I was indwelt by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Uh, when you need strength for the battle, God's Spirit is in you. When you need strength to resist temptation, God's Spirit is in you. 
I've been baptized by the Spirit. I've been indwelt by the Spirit. The Bible says I've been sealed with the Spirit. I'm so thankful to God that I'm not going to stand before him one day, and it's based on what I got accomplished in this. It's all based on what Jesus Christ did. And then we have this picture of being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, that picture of sealing in their economy, they understood. Uh, so if you were getting a letter or a parcel or whatever, it, it came with a seal on it. And the person who could open the seal was either the person who sent it or the person who was receiving it. No one else was allowed to open it. That's the picture. Your salvation has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The good news in that for us is the person who seals it and the person who opens it is God himself. And so I have this picture, this understanding of what God has done, the working of the Holy Spirit. And as a follower of Christ, someone who's put their faith and trust in Christ, someone who's a follower of the Lord, I'm sealed. I'm protected. I have hope. I have confidence. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm anointed with the Spirit. Uh, they anointed kings. That meant they were setting them apart. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Uh, that's the next thing, this guarantee that we have. A guarantee of our inheritance, of what is coming for us is Guaranteed. Um, I got this Fitbit, and uh, I wanted an extra power cord, so I'd have one at the office here to charge it here if I needed to. And so I went up to Best Buy to, uh, to pick up a cord, and I'm using this illustration because they had great customer service, so it's a good illustration for them. And, and so I go, and I get the cord, and I bring it back. I plug it in, and it doesn't work. And so it's three days later, and I want to go and take the cord back. I don't have the receipt anymore because I'm just not that organized. And, and so I go back up there, and, and uh, I'm going, I don't have a receipt. I just want to leave this box. I just want to get another box. And the guy goes, well, how did you pay for it? Well, I knew it wasn't cash for sure because I just don't carry cash much. And, and so I go, well, probably this credit card. So he runs it through, and it wasn't that credit card. And so another credit card wasn't that So he goes, well, what about your debit? And I said, De so there it was. So they pull it up, and they can pull the receipt up. Um, and so he pulls the receipt up, and, and, um, and then he goes and gets me another box, and come back, and it works. And um, see, they have a guarantee. They'll take care of a problem if the problem comes up, and they took care of the problem. Um, this is a picture of our salvation. That guarantee is wonderful, and I'm sure not everybody's been a happy customer. The guarantee that God puts on our salvation is a guarantee that he is good for and that he's going to hold to the end. And uh, we have this guarantee that's in it by the work of the Holy Spirit of this inheritance that's coming for us. It's a promise, and he's going to deliver on it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, when you put your trust in Christ, you are given a gift to serve. Um, it's done, and it's being done as a process, but 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Not only did I receive a gift, but I was filled with the Spirit. When I trusted Christ, I was filled with the Spirit. Now, the filling of the Spirit, unlike the indwelling or the baptism or the sealing, those things happen once for all, 
right? But, but this part, the filling of the Spirit, is an ongoing piece. And we're going to learn more about that next week as we talk about our response to all of this in our walk with Christ. But, but when I trusted Christ, Christ's Spirit is in me. I am filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine. It's a picture of what controls you, which is debauchery or is wrong. But be filled with the Spirit. We go on being filled with the Spirit by confessing sin, surrendering our will, an obedient walk. Um, when I trusted Christ, I was given the Spirit of God. This walk is not my own. Christ in me, the hope of glory, is a picture of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So in this new position I have, I have the Holy Spirit in me. 2 Corinthians 5 says, all of this is from God. Here's another, all of this is from God. And God's awesome work, I've been made just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, the theological word is I've been justified. I've been justified. I've been made just like I never sinned. But I know I have sinned. But I know how many times I have failed. But that's how God sees me. God sees me just as if I'd never sinned. Let that sink in. Let that overwhelm you with God's goodness and God's faithfulness to you. In Romans 5.1 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 3.7 says, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what is this justification? I've got uh, two definitions for you to see. Um, we can think about Here's the first one. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. It declares us to be righteous in his sight. So justification means when, when God looks at you, he looks at you and, and your sin is totally forgiven and Christ's righteousness belongs to you. Uh, that's one definition. Here's a, another one you can uh, see. It would say this, that justification is that gracious and judicial act of God why, whereby he declares believing sinners righteous on the basis of the righteousness of Christ which is credited to them and forgives all of their sins. He declares believing sinners righteous on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, which is credited to them and forgiven of all of their sin. All of Christ's righteousness is placed on me. All of my sin is placed on Christ. What an amazing work God has done. What an amazing thing that he has accomplished as God looks down at me, as God looks down at you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he sees you through the lens of what Christ has accomplished. And so he sees Christ's righteousness in you. He doesn't see your sin. And so your sin is forgiven past, present, future, because of the work of Christ. I have been, I have been justified. I have been justified. Christ met the demand. And then God 
did this work. Only God could justify. And he can do it because of the finished work of Christ. Justification is a, is a declaration of God. It's a, it's a legal action, as it were. It's not a process. You don't get more justified as you grow up in Christ. You get more sanctified as you grow up in Christ, but you don't get more justified as you grow up in Christ. Justification is a, it happened. You were regenerated. You, uh, you made your decision. You're at a conversion, and you are justified. How amazing that God would look down at me, and God would look down at you, and because he looks at us through the lens of what Jesus Christ has done, he sees us, as if we'd never sinned. It's not a process. It's not a process. It's a declaration of God. He does it, and we are made right in his sight. There's no longer a penalty for our sin that we have to pay because Christ satisfied God's working. Uh, A word that's used, a theological word is this, is imputation. This whole picture of what being accomplished. When Adam sinned, Adam's sin was imputed on all of us. All of us. You're born a sinner. Nobody has to teach you to sin. We had 180 plus kids here last week. Nobody had to teach them to sin. We saw the evidence of it in their lives every day. And that's because they're your children. (laughs) Because the imputation of sin is in you too. But the imputation of righteousness comes because of what Christ has done. So Adam's sin is put on all of us. As Christ's righteousness, when we put our faith in Christ, when we trust Christ, Christ's righteousness, it is put on all of us as well. It's it's a great picture. It's an amazing truth, and you should hold it dearly in your heart that my sin is put on him, and his righteousness is put on me, and God looks at you through the lens of what Christ has done. That's justification. It's complete. It doesn't happen in degrees. It's permanent. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're no longer condemned. Don't live like you're condemned. It's received through faith. We're justified by faith. Um, Again, it's not what we do. It's what God has done. And therefore, we have hope and we have confidence and And it's also a justification is by grace. It's not a reward for anything in us, but it's all by God. Romans 3, 23 and 24. It's interesting. We read Romans 3 and we tend to stop at the end of verse 23. But here's what what they say. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We read that. We tend to stop there. And it's true. It's the truth of all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. No man follows after God. We get all that. That's in verse 23. Um, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here it goes on. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You're justified. You're made just like you never sinned. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are you living like that? The reality of what Christ has accomplished for you. Does it leave you in awe and wonder of the working of God for you? Just like you never. You know your heart. You know what you're really like. You know the needs. 
And yet, because of the work of Christ, you have been justified. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, this is an offer. It's a gift for you. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay for it. The return on investment, you don't make an investment. Christ did all of the work. All of this is a free gift that's given to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, if you turn from what you believed and feel like that's not getting me anywhere good, that sinfulness is not getting me anywhere, I'm putting my trust in Christ, then God no longer sees you as a sinner deserving of hell and, and punishment for eternity, sees you as his own child, and he accepts you, and you are made just as if you had never sinned. If you never trusted Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, the Bible says, and, and you will be, you'll be saved. Um, it's free. It doesn't cost. God does it. A number of years ago, we did a series um, in, the, in the letters to John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And, and in one of those messages, I used an illustration. It was a, a picture of Jesus Christ as our advocate, the one who stands before God on our behalf. It's also a great picture of, uh, of our salvation. And uh, here's the illustration that I used in that message. It is as if we stand as the accused in the heavenly court before our righteous judge, God the Father. Our advocate, Jesus, stands up to answer the charges. And our advocate says, he's completely guilty, Your Honor. In fact, he has done worse than what he is accused of. And now he makes full and complete confession before you. The gavel slams and the judge asks, what should be his sentence? And our advocate answers, his sentence shall be death. He deserves a full wrath of this righteous court. All along, our accuser, Satan, is having a, a, great, a great fun with all of this. We are guilty, and we admit our guilt, and we see our punishment. But then our advocate, Jesus, asks to approach the bench. And as he draws close to the judge, he simply says, Father, this one belongs to me. I paid his price. I took the wrath and punishment from this court that he deserves. The, gra- the gavel sounds, and again the judge cries out, guilty as charged, penalty satisfied. Our accuser starts going crazy. Aren't you going to even put him on probation? No, the judge shouts. The penalty has been completely paid by my son. There's nothing to put him on probation for. Then the judge turns to our advocate and he says, Son, you said this one belongs to you. I release him into your care. Case closed. That's justification. Just as if you never sinned. God's work in our salvation is awesome. We see it in the giving of the Holy Spirit. We see it in our justification. Here's a third picture that we see it in. God's awesome work that we are an adopted child and a joint heir. I am an adopted child and a joint heir. John 1, 12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Back years and years ago, I worked in camp ministry, and I can remember this little girl who came to camp uh, one day, and she would have been maybe eight years old or nine years old, and, um, and she told me that um, she had just been adopted. And she told me, my name is, and then she would say her first name, and she would say her last name. 
The rest of the kids, you ask them what their name is, they would just say, oh, my name's Paul, or my name's Bill, or my name's whatever. My name. She said, my name is, and she would say her first name, and she would say her last name, because she had a new last name. And whenever you saw her around the grounds that week, you'd say, hey, how are you? And what's your name? And my name is, and then she would say her whole name. Why? Because she had been adopted. She'd come out of a terrible background. She'd come out of a hard thing, and this new family had taken her in, and she was now an adopted child. And she wanted everybody to know that she was an adopted child. She wanted everybody to know she had a new name. So what is adoption? There's a couple definitions for you. In the spiritual world, in the, in the theology, adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. Right? That's kind of Captain Obvious. That's what adoption is. Adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of of his family. Uh, here's a second one if you want. Uh, adoption is an act of being transferred from an alien family into the family of God himself. Uh, I like that one a little better because it kind of takes you what you've been taken from and what you're placed into, but adoption is an act of being transferred from an alien family into the family of God himself. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been adopted into God's family. The family you were in before wasn't working out for you. It wasn't good. It was abusive. It was bad. It was leading you to destruction. And now you put your trust in Christ and you have now been adopted into a new family. Um, like justification, adoption is a judicial act. It's a thing that God does. Um, Adoption is distinct from regeneration. Regeneration is when I'm made spiritually alive by God. Adoption is when I'm being made part of God's family. So in regeneration, I'm made alive. In adoption, I'm made part of God's family. It all happens like that, but it's two very different things. You've been adopted. You're an adopted child of God. Adoption is different from justification. In justification, our right standing before God is made. In adoption, our relationship with God the Father is made. It's an amazing truth. It's an amazing uh, complexity, but of our salvation and what God has done in adopting us, I now have this new relationship uh, with my Father. When you are adopted... You receive all kinds of things that come from the family you move into. But you also lose all the rights of the old family. All the things that were there. All the debt that had to be paid. And now you've gained all the rights of full legitimacy of a son or daughter in a new family. Not only that, you become an heir of the new father's estate. You become an heir. Um, Sue and I, all of our parents have gone to be with the Lord, and so we've gone through all the stuff with wills and estates and all the rest, and we got some stuff. And it was nice to get some stuff. Um, it was good stuff. Um, but it's nothing compared to what we get as heirs of God's family. What he offers to us, what he gives to us, it's all his. And I'm an heir. I'm an heir. And if you're a follower of Christ, you are an heir because you are an adopted child of God. The old and legal has, debts have been gone. They've been eradicated. Um, 
You become in the eyes of the law, literally the son, the daughter of the new father. It's a work that's done by God. He's the agent of adoption. Uh, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. That's amazing love, because we don't earn it, we don't deserve it. We should get nothing. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Um, He's the agent. He's also the originator of our adoption. In Ephesians 1, 4 to 6, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons or daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so the basis of this adoption is that we would be one with him. The motivation of this adoption was for his good pleasure, it says in those verses. And the end of adoption is so that we would bring praise and glory because of the grace that's been accomplished for us. This is what God has done. And then the result of the adoption is we are heirs. I'm an heir of God. And you're an heir of God. And don't take it for granted. And be filled with gratitude for God for what he's done. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, Now the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As an adopted child and with a new father, I have the privilege to be able to go and speak to my dad. I can go and speak to my father. And he hears it, and he loves it when I come. As an adopted child, you have access to your father, and he wants you to come. As an adopted child, I'm also under discipline of my new father. And, and Hebrews 12 talks about discipline, and when we're going through it, it's not, we don't seem to enjoy it very much, but the purpose of it is, is, is in the end, we will be better, and it will work for us, and it will work through us, and and as an adopted child, sometimes I have to be um, disciplined. And God does that, but it's a gift that comes from him. And as an adopted child, you're under the discipline of your father. As an adopted child, I'm part of a new family. I relate to a new family. And in Christ, you should relate to other believers in Jesus Christ because you are part of one family. You just think about the people who are in this room who follow Christ. I've said this before. Why, other than your relationship, would Christ, would you be with the people who are in this room right now? Other than your family, the thing that brings us together is our adoption in Christ. Because we're family. Then because we're family. And then uh, one more thing. As a child, an adopted child, we imitate and honor our father. Love watching kids, and kids talk about their parents. I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my mom. You probably said it. Your kids probably said it to you. Not once they were teenagers. They stopped saying it for a little while. But, but you know, as they're growing up, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my mom. I want to be like... As a follower of Christ, you want to be like your father. You want to be like your heavenly father. And the things that Scripture teach us, those are the things that we want to take now and build into our lives. Why? Because we are adopted so we are, have the Holy Spirit. I've been made just as if I'd never sinned. I've been adopted. Here's one more. On God's awesome work, I am united with Christ. I'm united with Christ. All of this, 2 Corinthians 5 says, is from God. Um, 
the theological term is union with Christ. It's kind of an overriding statement of all that gets accomplished for us. Um, I was separated. I had no hope. Now I am united because of all that he has done. John 14, 19 to 20 says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because, because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Union with Christ. Here's kind of a definition of union with Christ. Uh, a union with Christ, it's a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. Basically, that whole list of all the things that we talked about at the very beginning of this message and the things we're learning here, this is all what's encompassed in this idea that I have received and what I have and what's been poured out on me in this picture of union with Christ. But there are some words in Scripture that help us to understand that. Um, one of those uh, phrases would be, uh, we are in Christ. We saw that in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So as a follower of Christ, you are in Christ. Here's another one, though. Christ is in you. It's another picture. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we are in Christ. Christ is in us. And we are like Christ. And we are to be like Christ. We imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, uh, Paul said. And we become like Christ in our walk, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we are with Christ. We are with Christ in relationship. Part of the Great Commission says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This union with Christ is, we are with Christ. So here's a really quick, you won't have time to write these down, but here are seven awesome realities of being united with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, I'm a member in his body. John 15, 5 says, I'm a branch in his vine. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says, I'm a stone in his building. John 10, 27 to 29 says, I am a sheep in his flock. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, I am a part of his bride, the church. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, I am a priest of the kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, I am a saint of the new generation. How awesome it is to be united with Christ. See, that's what he's done for us. You're the object of his love, the object of his grace, the object of his power. You're the object of his faithfulness. You're the object of his peace. You're the object of his comfort. You're the object of his personal care. Now, I love this one. You're the object of his intercession. As a follower of Jesus Christ, united with Christ, 
Christ intercedes for you. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? In, in, in uh, Romans 8.34 it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Why? Because of our union with Christ. See, our salvation is amazing. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. God does it. All this is now poured out on me. It's a return on the investment he made. And I receive all of it because of the work of Christ. Well, so what? So what? The four amazing picture of all of this is from God. The spirit in you. You're justified before God just as if I'd never sinned. You're adopted as a child and you are united with Christ. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. So follower of Christ, how much gratitude are you expressing to the Lord in your life for all that's been accomplished for you? How much gratitude? Like I, I just gave you a list. You can go back and watch it later and you can write them all down and you can put them on your fridge. You can stick them in your Bible. You can get, when you're feeling down about yourself and all God doesn't, you just go back to that list and see all that God has done for you. Do you express gratitude for God's faithfulness and his goodness to you? How much do we take for granted the faith that we have? The work that God has done. And we're just kind of like, eh. Yeah, I'm a follower of the Christ. I believe in Jesus. And we lose track of how awesome this work that God has done for us. God, help us. God, help us. We've talked about in this series that we live, we live every day as followers of Jesus Christ out of God's good work, out of what he has done for us. Before your feet hit the floor in the morning, give God the glory for what he's done in your salvation. God, help us. All that we've received would be used by God's spirit to work in us that we would live out for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it and the challenge of it. Father, for every follower of Christ in this room, this, this word is a word of amazing hope because of all that you've done for us. This is all that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would live confidently and, with, and hopefully out of your working for your fame and for your glory. And Lord, maybe it's a reminder for us and We've gotten sloppy in our thinking and we forget how awesome this work is and our focus isn't on you like it should be, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And Lord, for the person who's here today who's never trusted Christ, would they understand all that you accomplished that they couldn't accomplish? Would this be the day they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? God, do this work as only you can. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.